welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. We are completing a uh, message series called Summer in the Psalms, and so we've been spending time walking through Psalms because they're real people like you and I that are just trying to process real life and the things that are happening to them, uh, trying to wonder what God's doing, trying to uh, wonder what's happening around them. And so today we're finishing with with Psalm 19. And um, before we look at that, though, I, I, I emailed everybody saying, hey, which Psalm like really spoke to you the most? And so I got one response. And so thank you, guys. Wonderful. Um, it's good. I know that you, all of you guys were just trying to figure out like which one, right? It was really hard to choose like all the processes that you went through. So I'm going to get just a plethora of emails after today about all of your thoughts. But here's the one, here's one response. I truly feel moved by the comfort Psalm 23 brings and the meaning learned while knowing the Lord is bringing these gifts to us daily. I have always been drawn to this as it shows how much he loves us and cares for us. It gives me hope that each day, no matter what I do, he is going to love me the same. He restores my hope daily. And so the one person that did that, you get extra bonuses. That person that did that, you know who you are, you get an extra fat boy sandwich next week. So there you go. All right, we're looking at Psalm 19 today. And C.S. Lewis, the author, he wrote this about Psalm 19. I take this to be the greatest poem in all the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And so good words from C.S. Lewis. David, he ends Psalm 19 with this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So, so, so nope, that's not Psalm, that's verse one. So there you go. Um, verse 14 says this. It says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, so David confidently says that God, the Lord, is his rock and his redeemer. And so what he's walking through is he's saying like the rock, he's saying that that's his strength. So where he gets strength, that which is unshakable in his life, he's saying that that is the Lord. And we can look at that and say, well, of course. But think about how often we rely upon maybe our own physical strength or, or maybe our, our intellect or maybe our upbringing or maybe our financial state. Um, we look at that or even our track record sometimes. Like, look, I've, I've got the best track record and so that's what is strong. Well, all of a sudden you cannot have a good track record. So what's unshakable in your life? What's unshakable? And David says that it's the Lord, that he is his rock. And then when it says that the Lord is his redeemer, he speaks of the kinsman redeemer, uh, which was a relative that would pay the price for uh, another relative to be set free from slavery. We read about this like in, in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And so, so David's sharing like, look, the Lord is this person for me. He is my rock and redeemer. And he has such confidence. Like number one, the incredible humility. Like the word of God is amazing. Because there's this humility that David has. He's this amazing king, this amazing person. Uh, that he, God says of him, you know, that, that he is a man after God's own heart. And yet you see this incredible humility of like, the Lord is my rock. He's unshakable. I'm not unshakable. And also, too, I need to be rescued. 
I, I need help. I need to be rescued all the time. And so his confidence comes from a couple of things, though. And it comes from how God has communicated with him and what he's communicated. So the first thing that we are going to see today as we go through our passage is verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 are what we call natural revelation. And so it's like today, right? We're seeing natural revelation on display. We're seeing, we're seeing lightning and we're seeing, uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, the sun has come up somewhere, but we can't see it. And you see seasons that are happening. And, and so natural revelation reveals what God is like. But then you have more specific revelation, which like the word of God, the Bible is God's specific revelation. And then he speaks through dreams and visions and, and through people and through him intervening in history. He speaks ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so that is why David is so confident because he knows God's communication. So for me, I wasn't raised in a, in a religious home. And so for me, it was all about natural revelation. Like I never got around a Bible until I was about 15 years old. I, I never read one, never saw one. The first time I did, I asked the guy that was reading it, like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? And he thought it was being a smart aleck, so he said, beat it. You know, and, but he lost a great opportunity because I was like, what, what are you doing? He could have explained it to me. But for me, it was all about like, God spoke to me and I saw God's existence through the stream and, and through the clouds and through the seasons and, and through the, we lived on a, a farm that used to be a sheep farm. And so, so we'd, we'd be digging, my brother and I, we'd find all these sheep bones, you know, and, and, and then we'd see sheep with their shepherd and, and, and I learned about people and, and God in that way. But then later on, I realized that God was personal that it wasn't just kind of far off because he still seemed far off to me. My mom talks about when I was about five years old or so, walking through this big grocery store and um, you know, her being a non-religious person uh, at the time, she was just, she, I yelled in front of everybody. I'm just like, hey, so if God can see us, can he see through the ceiling? And, and you can imagine just the embarrassment. Oh gosh, what are we doing here? And so there was just this curiosity, but it was, God was just kind of an idea versus a person. And so it was through the natu- or for the specific re- revelation that God gives that, that I all of a sudden was able to get to know him better. So we never forget when we hear from God. Like think about the times that you've heard from God. Like that it was maybe reading the word or maybe he just spoke by his spirit to you or you had a dream or somebody said something to you. When you hear from God, you never forget it. It changes you. Because, because it, it, it like wakes you up. You never forget when you hear from God. Uh, and the reason is, is, is when God speaks, there's, there's, there's an automatic result. There's an intended result. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then it goes through, and then he said, let there be this, and let there be this, and then it was. And so when God speaks, it absolutely changes your world. It, it shakes up your world. And so when we listen to him, it, when we listen to God's communication, what happens is, is we develop a different mind. We develop a different way of thinking. And some people would say it's a lens, but I would push back and say, no, when we get the mind of God, when we hear from God, it's not a lens. It's actually we see things as they are. See, the world constantly says, look through this lens, look through this lens. And the world system what it does is it gives us a lens and we end up seeing what is right as wrong and what is wrong as right many times. 
we don't see clearly. I was sitting in my kitchen and one of my sons was off here at the sink and, and, and there was this uh, big bottle of olive oil. You know, you get it at one of the Costco or Sam's Club and, and the sun was shining through here and there was a white mug right here and, and, and the mug looked green. And I said, son, you, look at, you see that? You, you, you see how the mug looks green? What color is it though? And he's like, well, it's white. And I said, so, so when we get the mind of God, it's not that you get a new lens, it's that you see things as they are. And you're like, wait a minute, I've been around plenty of, plenty of religious people that don't see things as the way they are. Well, it takes time, it takes practice, right? That's why there's humility involved. But so when we get the mind of God, we start to see things differently, we're able to operate differently. And when we're joined with him in mind and thought, um, we see things clearly, so when life's happening, we're not as shook up. You know, with everything that's going on in the world today, if you are hearing from God, if you're in the word of God, if you're in there and you're not just going to the word of God for the word of God, but you're going to the word of God for God, then you see things differently right now. You have a different perspective because of that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So number one, in verse one, we're going to see how God is in plain sight. Okay, so his natural revelation. So verse one of, cha- of Psalm 19. For the director of music, a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the heavens declare the glory of God. So gl- someone's glory is like their substance, their being. And so it's saying that, that, that you can learn about what God is like, who he is, just by the skies. Well, in the skies, you have design, you have, you have function, you have, you have all sorts of things that change and move, and you're able to see, wow, there's a designer here. And then it says, um, they proclaim the work of his hand. So what are the work of his hand? So light and darkness, day, month and year, summer and winter, constellations, the birth process, sleep. All of that we can see just by looking at Revelation, uh, natural Revelation. Now, verse 2, it says, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So pour forth speech. In the Hebrew, it's actually uh, much, it's much more abrupt. It's saying like it's this fountain that's just gushing. Like if you've ever seen a picture of like in the streets, we were in Scotland in, in 2004, and we... Um, near a friend's house, and, and they had opened up the, the fire hydrant for the kids in the neighborhood just to play in the water. And I'll never forget it. It was just gushing water, and it was just getting everywhere. And this is saying that creation just gushes. It just gushes forth speech night after night and reveals the knowledge of God. But are we paying attention, right? Are we just so used to it? Uh, verse 3, it says, they have no speech, they have no words, no sound is heard from them, Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And so nature, God's creation, doesn't have a certain language. And yet people all throughout the earth, through all time in history, can learn about God from it. It speaks the same language to all of us, which is there's a creator, there's a design. Now, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament wrote this about this. He got more specific. Um, He said this, he said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And so this is, Paul's talking about like people denying the existence of God or denying that there is a God or a designer. Not getting into that it's personal yet, but just saying, look, there is a God and it's not you. 
okay? And so Paul lays that out. And in verse 4b, uh, the second part of verse 4, it says, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. And so you think about this, like, uh, you know, like think about like a, just a huge, huge dome, uh, you know, and, and, and God parks the sun in there, right? So very basic language. Obviously, we know now in history that, that no, the sun doesn't go into this sheath or it doesn't go into this dome that God puts it to sleep at night, but, it, but the earth is, is, is orbiting and the earth is turning and all of those things. But the picture is, is that, that God is that big that he's just created something to cover up the sun. Now, in verse 5, it says, It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And so focus on that last part of verse 6, where it says, nothing is deprived of its warmth. Remember that, that creation reveals the glory of God. And so creations like that, that, that nothing is deprived of its warmth, so is creation, natural revelation, that, that if you pay attention, no one doesn't get warmed by the glory of God. No one does not sit there and say they can't see. Um, but we need to get more specific, though, because we don't know the personality. Uh, we don't know um, the history. Uh, we don't know this person of God just by, just by looking at creation. Like, we can't know the specifics. And then there's all sorts of stories throughout time about different gods and things. So, so where do we go from there? Well, that's where the specific revelation, the Bible, comes in. And uh, I would liken it to um, we, uh, our first house that we owned in, in Oceanside, California. Uh, that's where our oldest son, who's, who's 17 now, he, he, was, he was born uh, at that home. And, and you know, we took him home to that home and in that place. But there was always this neighbor across the street. And, and he just sat there like this. He, did, he sat there and he was always smoking a cigarette. And he just kind of sat there and he, kinda, he just kind of just looked at you. And it was like he had one eye open, one eye closed. And he just sit there. And, and we only lived in that home for, I think, two and a half years. Uh, but I, hey, how you doing? And it would just be kind of like, he'd lose the cigarette and just kind of like very, very slightly, watch it, move his head just slightly move his head. And so he was my neighbor, and we're really into neighboring and, and, and knowing our neighbors, but he just wouldn't do it. And I even walked up across the street, like walked across. I'm like, how's it going? I'm Cody. And it was just the slight move of the head. I'm like, good talking to you. So, so we moved back to San Diego five years after we left, and I was driving through that neighborhood because we had some friends and looked at our old home, and he was out there. And so I, I, I drove by him, all, how you doing? And just just like that, right? So he was known, he was seen, but he wasn't personable, right? So that's why we can't stop at this idea of just like, sure, there's creation, sure, there's a designer, and that's cool, and now I get to define things. No, God has made it very real. He's not just standoffish. He's up close and personal, and that's what we see starting in verse 7. We see that... um, God's close and and near, and he wants relationship. Now, if you go back to verse 1, in the Hebrew, the word for God, they use El, right? So you've heard of like El Shaddai, right? So El is the most general word for God, right? It wouldn't even have to mean the Hebrew God, uh, but it's just, it's a general word for God, right? So El. 
And so it's just kind of a general thing thrown out there. Now in verses 7 through 9, where you start to see this specific revelation, this special revelation from God, you, a different word is used. In the word, in the Hebrew, it would, like as we translate it over, it would like, look like Y-H-W-H, which if you add the, the, the vowels in, you end up with like um, Yahweh or Yehovah, right? Or Jehovah, right? And so, so it's a personal word for God that's used as we talk about the specific revelation. So David specifically, even though these two words were used interchangeably, he's doing this on purpose. He's saying like, hey, through nature, through creation, you can see that there is a God. But now the covenant-keeping God, the one that knows you, the one that loves you, the one that walks with you, the one that gave himself for you, he gets up close and personal. So let's change the name. So in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And so there's a couple of different ways that David speaks about the word of God, the Bible, in each verse. And he uses seven different ways that he describes the word of God. Don't get in too much to, he says, the law of the Lord or the statutes of the Lord. He's not trying to pick it apart that much, I don't think. I think he's just calling it different things so that we would understand how dynamic the word of God is. And so don't sit there and say, oh, well, this part of the word is this way. This part is this way. I don't think we're supposed to do that. Because remember, this is a, this is a worship song, right? This is a, a declaring to the Lord. So in verse 7, the first part, where it says the law of the Lord is perfect, it's saying that the law of the Lord, the word of God, is, is whole. It's complete. Nothing's lacking. But look at what it says, though. It says it refreshes the soul. Uh, some versions say, like, converting the soul. Uh, so someone... Uh, you know, you Bible readers out there, you, you would think of when you see this, you would think of the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, where God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, he says, speak, you know, he, he's in this big valley of bones. It's just like, it's, it's people, but it's just, it's a graveyard and there's just bones of people everywhere. And he says, he says, son of man, speak or prophesy to the bones. And what he wants them to do is just to speak the word of God, the word that God gives them to the bones. And it says that as he speaks, there's a rattling that happens. And then, and then, and then, and then he speaks more of the word of God. And then the rattling, they start to come together. And then the bones actually form like a full person, like we would see like in our biology classes, like a, a full skeleton, right? But then it says that, the, that all the ligaments and the sinews and flesh and everything else came on. And that's the picture that we see, that as the word of God is spoken, it pulls our souls together. It refreshes us. It makes us whole. That's why if you've ever been down or you've ever been lost or you've ever been lonely or you're wondering what's going on in my life and you open up the word of God that all of a sudden nothing's changed but you feel different and you see differently because it refreshes your soul. It shows you really what is instead of what you're focusing on. Now the second part, it says the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And so Trustworthy means like sure, confirmed, or the one I like the most, verified, right? Um, you, you see in these spy movies where, where, where the one spy or the one person is, is, is trying to pay the other person, well, have you, have you put the funds into my account? Uh, you know, or, or they're, they're like arms dealers and stuff. Do I have the funds in my account? And the guy gets on the computer and checks, yep, the funds are verified. 
That's what it's saying here. It's saying, it's saying that the, the, the word of God, the Bible, the Bible is verified. Like what it says has been verified for generation after generation after generation. And again, you Bible readers, you would think of Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament where you, you see this hall of faith, they call it. And you have all of these people beginning with the beginning of creation that it says they, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. And, and you see that they didn't even get like the promise of what they went out for, but they trusted God. By faith, they did this. And the picture is, is that you walk in this hall of faith that it's written in a way that it's like this grand stadium. And there's no social distancing going on. But it's this grand stadium and you're this marathon runner that's been running this race. In the last part of the marathon, you're running in and there's this great hall of faith that they're like, it's been verified. Put your trust in God. Put your faith in God. What's written here is true and verified. Put everything you have into it. And then it says, the last part of verse 7, making wise the simple what is this saying? It's saying there's a different type of education. There's a different type of education. It's God you, right? God university. It's something that, that the education of the world can't give you. It's something that you can only get from the book. It's education from God that you can only get there. I, I remember doing this, and this was before, um, this is before I had my my bachelor's degree. I remember reading the word and I would spend time, like I specifically, there was a period for years and years that I would just read Proverbs, like the proverb of the day. There's 31 chapters. So I'm going to read on the first day of the month, I'm going to read Proverbs 1 and so on. And all of a sudden, I had situations come my way and I had wisdom. Like I hadn't had those experiences, but I could see things as they were. So what was happening is, is that in God university, like making wise the simple, when I read the word of God, then the Holy Spirit that's within me then brings to remembrance those things. Not always just cognitively like I think of that exact thing, but I have wisdom that's not from me. Because what's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit? Is to remind us of the words of Jesus, right? And so he can't do one of the main things that he does, which is to remind us of the word of God, unless we read the word of God. And so, so that's, that's what we see in verse 7. In verse 8, it says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So first, where it says the precepts of the Lord are right, it means straight and not crooked. That it's absolutely, perfectly straight is the precepts of the Lord. But then it says, it says, giving joy to the heart. It means to gladden or to make joyful. And it's, it's something that's done to you. So God is saying about his Bible, about his word, that when you read it, its intent is to bring you joy. That's what he has in mind, that when you open up the book. Now, why is that? Well, have you ever gone to a good restaurant and, and you open up the menu and, and you've heard all about the restaurant from friends, and you open the menu, would you even do this? You open the menu, you look, and you just say, oh, boy, look at that lobster, or look at that steak, or look at that 
that chicken cordon bleu or whatever, right? You look at it, and then the raider comes and said, what would you like? You say, I'm good. Take a sip of the water and bail. No way. The reason that the Bible brings you joy is because it leads you to God. See, the Bible, while I am pumping it up, absolutely, it is the word of God. It is the thing that leads you to God. And so anyone that's led to God, what do you have? All those that are led to God have joy. And so it's just not an end in itself. Yes, it brings you joy. That's the intent. But it's to lead you to God. And when you're led to God, you get joy. So just don't stop there. Because there's plenty of people that you've met and I've met that you would say, know the word of God but they don't really know God. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, yeah, they can quote this verse at you. They can quote this thing and say this thing. And Jesus found characters like this too. And he told them, he says, you boast that you know the scriptures and you see these things, but the scriptures speak of me. And so it's always not just stopping at the menu, but walking through to meet with God. Now, the second part of verse eight, it says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So the word radiant here is like clean or pure. And the idea is, is that the word of God is so clean and pure that it shines like the sun. And then it gives light to your eyes, right? They say that when the light goes out of the eyes, that death is near or it's come. And so this is the opposite, that as light comes to the eyes, that life comes. Because that's really, anytime you see in scripture, for the most part, when it speaks of light coming, it's speaking of life. That's when God said, let there be light. He's saying, let there be life. And so when the light comes in, here's the thing, we get lit up. Think of the pumpkin you're going to carve here in a couple of months for, you know, for, for Halloween or if you do that, you know, and you carve it and you put it and you open up the eyes and, and then what do you do? You put a candle inside of that thing, right? And then it's lit up. So the word of God is, is in us. In verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So the word of God now is being called the fear of the Lord. And so David's using that term for it. But it's saying it's pure. So, so nothing needs to be burnt away, right? If something's pure, nothing else needs to be burnt away. Um, my dad, he still is. In 1970, he, he, he started as a farrier, a horseshoer. And he, he he's, was a general contractor. He was a businessman. He's done all this stuff. And now he's a, a watercolor painter, right? And his, in his 70s, he started just all these things. But I remember as a kid, I would go during summer and, and go to work with him. And he would be um, putting horseshoes on, on horses. And, and what he would do is he'd have the horseshoes, but then he would heat up. He'd have this kind of furnace. And he'd get heated up just, just, just hot, just red hot. And he'd stick, he'd stick the horseshoe in there. And then that thing would just come out bright red. And then he'd put it on the anvil. Boing, boing, and these flakes would start coming off. The flakes would start coming off. What was that? It was the impurities, right? And then, and then when he was done, when he felt like it was just pure, like all the impurities were out of it, he would stick it in the water. And this smoke would come up out of the water from it. Beating, and then he'd put it on the horse. Why? Because now it was solid. It was pure. He would bend it to where he wanted it, and it was pure. Nothing else needed to be done. It's saying that the word of God is like that, and it endures forever. Why? Because there's no impurities. There's nothing to be burnt away. Like, it's just going to exist. It's just going to last. And you've heard that, 
anytime somebody sets out to disprove the word of God, typically what happens is they become a Christian. Because if they're honest with the word, if they handle it rightly, they realize, wow, this is, this is, this is the best. This is true. This stands up to every test that I can throw at it. It lasts forever. It's pure. And it says, um, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. So the one that reads, the one that spends time with the word of God, this can be said about them too. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be good to say, you know, I am firm and I am righteous. Now, but it's just not knowing it, right? It's, it's about doing it. It's about walking through to that next step. It's just not having it in my mind, but obeying it and doing it. So I am a person that I can say that I am firm and I am righteous. You go back to what David ends with, right? The rock, right? A rock is firm. And I'm righteous. Why? Why are we righteous? Right? Righteousness is right standing with God and right standing with people. So the vertical and the horizontal relationship. Well, the only way that we can be righteous is through Jesus Christ, right? Hence the Redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, that, that we're the relative, that he, that he says, hey, they're stuck in slavery to sin, I'm going to set them free. And so we see that in the word of God. Now, the next thing we see is, is that God says, come and see, right? So we, we have natural revelation, we have specific revelation, and, and then now there's this drawing in. Hopefully our hearts are engaged right now. But in verse 10, it says, they are more precious than gold, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Well, it's talking about the word of God. And so it's talking about value here because hopefully at this point you're saying like, makes sense, this is pretty awesome what the word of God can do in my life and if I read it and give time to it, but what's it worth? Well, it's saying that, that they, the word of God, the, the precepts of God, the law of God, all these different ways of saying it, that they're more precious than gold, than pure gold even. So there's a, there's a value choice here, which is the word of God is more valuable than material wealth. The idea is, is that if I were to offer you, offer you $100 billion in pure gold or the word of God, $100 billion of pure gold, but you never get to ever read the word of God again. You never get to see it on your computer, on your phone. Any, you never get the word of God again or $100 billion of pure gold. And the word is saying, the word is more valuable. That's the right choice. And then also too, it speaks of um, that which pleases our senses, where it says uh, at the end of verse 10, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. So the idea is, is that which is uh, pleases our senses, that which is sensual, that which, which we enjoy. It's saying, look, anything that you can experience in your senses, sight, hearing, taste, feeling, it's greater than that. So as the gauntlets lay down, this or this, choose the word of God. That's the better choice. And then in verse 11, it says, by them your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward. So warned is, the word of God warns of hidden sin and danger, uh, that, it, that it speaks to you. And this is the same thing, like I said earlier, I, I, I started, as I started to read the word of God, which I started right away. That was one of the first things I'm thankful for, that when I became a Christian, that, that um, uh, even though the dude that, that I first saw reading the Bible didn't show me the word, 
people very quickly showed me, hey, this is the word of God. Start reading here. Walk through this. Let me show you these verses, you know. And so as I quickly started reading, um, I all of a sudden, again, would have knowledge and insight about that's not good for me, or there's danger there, or sometimes it's a person, like that's not good, or a decision. And so I would see warning signs of things. You know, Proverbs 27, verse 12, it says this, it says, the prudent see danger and It's not in here. Okay. Um, Proverbs 27, verse 12, it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. That, that's one. I mean, if you want to commit a verse to memory this August month, that's a great one. Uh, I've, I've used this, this in so many situations, whether it was in business or making decisions with a church or making decisions about my role in a church or making decisions about relationships or uh, buying a car or all sorts of things. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? The prudent see danger and take refuge. Or, or other versions say, and they turn around. You know, I'm out of here. Like, I'm going the other way. Um, I, I'm going this way. I see a sign and I'm going that way. But the simple, what do they do? They keep going and pay the penalty. Well, the simple, remember, what, is it, what does it say earlier in our, in our verse earlier? It says that the word of God makes the simple wise. It makes wise the simple. And so when I don't have the word of God in my heart, and my mind, well, what happens? I end up not seeing danger when it comes about. And so next what we see is we see that David has a complete reliance upon the Lord. In verse 12, it says, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. So our lives, our mind, our bodies, at least mine, I don't know about you guys, have scars and bruises of when I didn't listen to the word. Okay? Like when I, when I don't listen to the word, when I maybe read it, and, but I don't apply it to my life, and then all of a sudden I look and say, wow, Lord, you spoke to me about that. Your word speaks about that, but I decided I knew better, or I, or I decided and I didn't even know. Like there's hidden sins, there's hidden things in my heart that hasn't been rooted out yet that I'll end up doing, and that's what David's talking about. He's saying, who can discern the, uh, their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. And so you have David, he's writing this beautiful poem to God and to encourage people, but he's still at this place of complete reliance upon God where he says, who can discern their own ways? So he's humble. Forgive my hidden faults. So fire, whether we know it burns or not, still burns. And so it's still hot. It'll still burn our flesh away from our fingers. So we can't just say, well, I didn't know, right? It's still a reality. We can say we didn't know, but the thing was still going to burn us. You know, it's, it's, it's this heart to say to the Lord, like, uh, Lord, uh, you know, search me. Search my heart. And uh, it's to say, you know, maybe I've been walking down the wrong path, Lord, on the hike, I remember we, we used to take uh, high school students backpacking uh, through the lower Sierras and to Yosemite in California. And, and I remember this one year, uh, we, we had four different groups and, and our main leader that was super sharp, knew how to read maps really well, and, and myself and the other guy, that we were just kind of okay. And he went one direction and, and, and my friend and I went this direction. And we got to this one cross in the road and I said, it's this way. And he's like, nope, it's that way. 
And I knew, I knew. I'm like, no, the map is, we're, to get here, we're going here. And now in life, to be clear, it's good to yield, right? For relationship. Right, you know, just to yield and, okay. Like, in other words, what's the consequence if I yield here? And so I said, okay, let's go. And we get like a mile or two down that puppy. And then all of a sudden he's like, I think we went the wrong way. Huh, okay. But I've always thought about it. Like, man, Lord, am, am I walking down the wrong path? You know, am I walking, am I, am I walking down a way and I'm enjoying the scenery and, and those things, but, but what if, how do I know if I'm walking the wrong way? Well, that's where it comes back to the word of God, right? It's, it's a light unto our path that shows us our way. Because ultimately, even the small little ways of like, of walking down the wrong path, they can lead to really big things where, where there's, there's unknown things that we're doing that lead to like really, really big things that now all of a sudden we've developed habits and it's known, but we don't care. And that's where it gets to in verse 13. It says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So willful sin is like, you know, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Uh, my best friend and I in high school, we were both Christians and we loved Jesus, and, um, and, but we were sorting it out, sorting it all out. And I remember key times where we were driving down the freeway and, you know, got the music going. It's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll not do this when we're married and have kids and stuff, when we, you know, at that point. And it's like, and the Lord's like, I don't think I put that preface on it that you had to be like married and have kids and to not act this way or be this way. And, and we'd go do stupid things, right? Because it was just willful. We're just like, you know, it, we're just going to head out and do it. And I don't think it ever really turned out good. And what was interesting is, is that we knew these scriptures. Like in, in the Old Testament, Proverbs 5, uh, if you haven't read it lately, it's, it's just so vivid. It speaks of, of uh, Solomon speaking to a young man. And he says, he says young man, this, pay attention to this. And he speaks of how he says, he, he talks about, and this can be applied to men or women, but he speaks of, of the adulterous woman and, and speaks of and says, says, you know, don't even go near her house for, for you know, her, her lips speak of honey and yet her feet are planted in hell right? Just straight up vivid. And the whole point is it just doesn't have to do with sexual sin. It has to do with any sin. It has to do with that, hey, the lips come out as honey, but the feet are squarely planted in bringing you somewhere else. And I've seen plenty of people that I've journeyed with, pastors and leaders and friends and other people, not yield to that scripture, which is don't even come near the home. Like, don't even walk anywhere near. And the whole idea is, is, as he comes near, you know, you will lose your honor. You will lose your life. You will lose all of these things. And it's just so vivid and clear. And then there's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, you know, that there's, there's no temptation, com, you know, that is not common to man, that, that in the temptation, that, in other words, like, hey, you're not alone. Like, everybody has these temptations to sin. And and, and God knows that, and so he gives you a way out in the temptation. There's not been one time that, that you know, I, I've sinned, like, you know, in a bad way that I'm like, oh, God, you didn't warn me, or you didn't show me a different way, or, or you didn't, like, show me this other avenue that I should take. Walk away. Or even small things, like, 
You ever get this one? Don't say that. Right? Don't say that thing. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. How about a boo? And then it's out there, and you're like, oh, man, can I just take that back? So God always gives a way out. So the idea is, is, is that with temptation and these willful sins is like, don't play around with it, but like if it's in the neighborhood, move neighborhoods. You know, if, it, if, it's, if you're in that car, if it's in the car, choose a different car. If you're on a tour and it's on that tour, choose a different tour. Like don't mess around with it, just leave it and, and let it go. Go a different direction. And then lastly, in verse 14, which we read earlier, may the, these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So David's saying, here I am, Lord. I know you know what to do. I, I know you know what to do. And so here's my life, God. I, I give it to you. Uh, I can mess it up without you. And so he says, you are my rock and my redeemer. So, so, so what do we do with this? Like, so we've talked about the word of God. Again, there's an emphasis of doing the word of God, not just talking about it. And I talked about that, that the word of God, even though how great it is, how wonderful it is, it's a menu to get us to God. That's the end result as we get to him. So how do we walk this out in daily life? Well, number one is, is, is commit to a daily reading of the Bible. Like, do it daily. Uh, that's what I've done for you know, 30 plus years. For the most part, daily, I sit down and I, I, read, I read the word. And sometimes, um, like our daily uh, Bible reading program, there's a bookmark on, on, the, on the table there. It's also on the weekly emails that I send out. Um, I will warn you right now, it's in Job. So don't think that that's how it always goes. Um, but that's part of what's being read. But when you sit down and you read, it's just about reading a chapter a day. What I do when I, when I have my daily reading time and I've, I have tons and tons of journals. And don't get all excited, you journalers. I'm not a great journaler. What I do is I read the word, and then all of a sudden there's a verse or a paragraph in that passage that just jumps out. And I'm like, that's it. That's what God is speaking to me about. And so I, I, I write down that, that verse, and then I may interact with it a little bit. Or sometimes I read, and I'm like, no, there's not really something that stands out, so I'll, I'll just put a prayer down. So it's very simple. But I come with a journal because I'm like, God, I want you to speak to me. It's not just this, this blanket thing. Um, and then do what you read, right? So real simple. Commit to a regular time and do what you read. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com. 